The next topic we're taking up is about fish. Uh, th- we just got a fish list that came uh, summer in 2021, uh, the recommended fish, and the, the ones who were not recommended be- regarding the issue of anisakis. First of all, let me read to you a few of the names. There's a, a letter here, Das Torah, from the Gedoli and Poiske Hador, regarding the Ian of Anasakis. These are the Rabbanim who was signed this paper. It's not from today, but it's from a few years ago. And it says, Shmuel Alevi Vosner. These are a lot of, some are here, some are not here today. I'm not going to go through the Zatzals, but you know who's here and who's not here. Rabbi Shmuel Halevi Vosner, Yosef Sholem El Yoshev, Nissen Karelitz, all of those people not here, but also signed Lahabda bin Chaim Chaim with Chaim Kanievsky, Moshe Sternbach, Nossen Gestetner, Shmuel Orbach, Shaga Feivel Kohn, that's Feivel Kohn here in the States, David Feinstein, these are good, these these uh, people uh, here from the Gedolim of America, Aaron Moshe Schechter from the, from uh, from Chaim Berlin, uh, Yosef Shalom Yel Yoshev and Shmuel Halevi Vosner. I mean, obviously signed two different places over here, uh, and that's uh, letters some people who are talking about the problem of the Anasakis and the reason to avoid certain fishes. So this is a list of the fish that are free of concern, the ones that we should be eating. According to this, it only discusses anisakis. There may be some other issues, but they're only discussing the anisakis issue here. But, but these are the fish that uh, would pass for the anisakis issue. Baby salmon, bangus, which is uh, sometimes it's called milkfish. It's, uh, I think it's from the Philippines. Barramundi, which is common in Australia, but it's, these are fish that you could find in the stores. Again, baby salmon, bangus, barramundi, bronzini, farm-raised, brook trout, that's farm-raised, carp, flounder, only certain flounder, number one, fluke, which is a kind of flounder, only northern, or the southern fluke is sometimes infested, so we'll get only the northern fluke. When you ask in the store, they'll know if it's northern or southern. Georgia banks, that's another kind of flounder, and channel, which is another kind. Now there's a, f- a fish, it looks like a porgy, it's called gilthead sea bream. Some people call it dorada, D-O-R-A-D-E. It's f- if it's farm-raised, gilthead sea bream. Lemon sole would be all right. Lox, if it's farm-raised, which usually is, unless it says wild, it's going to be farm-raised. Mullet, Nile perch from Lake Victoria, Africa. Noble, N-O-B-L-E, sometimes called silver carp. Ocean perch from Canada. Pike, red perch from Canada. Red snapper, except from the Pacific Ocean. Sable, only when it's marked farm-raised black cod. That's... That's what the the good sable, farm-raised black cod. Salmon, farm-raised. There's five different types here of salmon. Atlantic, British Columbia, Chilean, New Zealand, and Norwegian. The sardines goes like this. Ones with the skins and the bones, 
they recommend from Morocco and the Philippines. Sardines that are skinless and boneless or the filleted for all countries are acceptable. Sea bass, blue nose, that's uh, from New Zealand, grouper, which is from Mexico, striped bass, those are different sea basses. Let me read it again because it's confusing. Sea bass, it's called blue nose from New Zealand or grouper from Mexico or striped bass. Tilapia, trout, farm-raised, tuna, whitefish from the Great Lakes of Michigan. Now, uh, there are a list of different, uh, a, a different uh, fish which are specifically of concern, but I'd rather, I think it's easier just to have read that, but still, since that, these are common names and, and, and people do hear them, so in the, and it's a variation with the, what we read before, so I'm going to read to you now the ones that they have special concerns. But it's not, it's not limited to this, because first of all, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of fishes, and secondly, I have a lot of footnotes here which include other things. I don't want to make you crazy with it. If anybody would like to, you can get this list that I have right here by sending an email to info.fishlist at gmail.com. Again, info, I-N-F-O, period, fishlist at gmail.com. Or you can call 718-362-8805 and they will send you the fish list. Again, 718-362-8805. So let me tell you about the ones that they point out have specific concerns about a lot of Anasakis. Butterfish, canned salmon. That's what everybody likes to eat, right? Wild, which it usually is, unless marked farm-raised. I've never seen farm-raised. If you see it, fine. Let me know which company has farm-raised. Um, it would be wonderful. Uh, but they, sometimes they write wild caught, and people think that that's the same thing as farm-raised. It's not. Cod, this is the problem ones. General cod, yes. Um, then uh, flounder, all the types that are not mentioned before, including, these are the bad ones, dabs, turbo, yellowfin sole, and yellowtail. Those are the bad flounder. Haddock, hake, halibut, mackerel, ocean perch, pollock, red perch, red snapper, sable, it, we mentioned before sable was acceptable only when it was this uh, one particular thing. It says farm-raised black cod. But regular sable is usually from sea bass, and the sea bass has its issues. We'll see in a second. Salmon that's wild is, is a problem with the, uh, with the anisakis. Sardines with skins and bones from Portugal and Scotland and Norway. Those are the bad countries. Sea bass which is no good, is from Australia and, from, and Chile. Sole, general, because you mentioned sole, certain souls were okay, but so in general, sole no, is no good. Uh, and uh, turbo and yellow perch. So it's confusing if you don't have the list in front of you. If you get the list, you'll be able to go shopping very easily, and it's a big pleasure. Uh, who's doing it? Okay, so let me tell you a little bit about who was doing what. I'm reading you a note. 
We would like to thank the various cautious agencies whose information experience were helpful in preparing this list. Rabbi, uh, the Vada Kashras of the Badats of the Eda Charedis in Yerushalayim, Chavra Mavakshe HaKashras in Munsi, New Square Kashras Council, uh, Kashras Council of Lakewood, KCL, Rabbi Kashras of the Five Towns, the Star K, Rabbinical Council of California, and the Vada Rabbanu of Flapush. These different people and the organizations had input in making this list. It isn't, I don't know, you know how it was formed actually, but obviously people who were taking this seriously are you know, they're, they're responsible to serve us properly. So that if you want to be machmir on the Indian of anasakis worms that are in fish, and they're please, believe me, there are, I, I can't tell you how many there are. I myself saw, we had a program in Flatbush. I still remember it. Um, it, it, it was... Uh, <laughs> It was attended by many, many Rabbanim. And we went through different fish. We heard, we heard speeches, blah, 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 blah. Okay, fine, but we saw the fish themselves. And we looked at the salmon. And we looked at the salmon under a special, uh, a special light that uh, is ultraviolet light. And it goes through the, the actual fish, and you see the worms inside. Now, they had a little piece a fish that maybe is about three by five inches and maybe an inch and a half, two inches, probably two inches thick of salmon. Two inches high by three by five, something like that. It's a portion. And a few ounce portion, six ounces, whatever. In there, in that little piece of fish, there were as many as 75 insects, these anisakis. Now you ask me, how could they be in there and how could the thing hold up? The answer is the anisakis is very, very, very thin. It's long and thin. It's this, it's this inch or more long and it's very, very, very thin. And when it's compacted inside there, it's, 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 uh, it, 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 it doesn't take up almost any space at all. So you don't see it bulging, even though all these insects are inside there. I saw it my, with my own eyes, I'm not making anything up. And not, not only that, but when we had the packages, you know, understand these were packages that had been sealed already. They were uh, plastic around it. It was sealed, vacuum-packed or whatever. And inside, I saw live anisakis crawling around on top of the, of the fish rolling live. It's packed inside this, this, this plastic. How it survives with air, I don't know. But it did. And I don't know when they were packaged, but this, it, it wasn't like the 10 minutes before they were packaged. So I, I don't understand how they were alive. But this was an alive worm on the top of this, well, an anisakis worm on top, of the, on top of the fish. So yes, there are in these fish, when we say there are anisakis in there, we're not talking about maybe, we're talking about in the, in the dozens. So it's, it's a real serious issue if you, if you hold from it. Just to review, because uh, many, many people don't even know what I'm talking about. Anisakis is a worm, it's in a pest, etc. it goes into fish. It's very common because the waters are not so clean, 
the way they used to be, much cleaner in the old days. They were throwing garbage in. We were dumping waste into the water from the companies that were letting their, uh, uh, you know, all kinds of drudge, uh, all kinds of uh, things in, that going into the, putting into the waters. So this pollution is very high. That brought these. That's according to many people, that's what happened. In effect, um, it's very rampant, this problem of the, uh, uh, of the Anasakis, and that's why farm-raised means you control it to a certain extent, and you kill these uh, pests so they don't come in, and you, you raise them without, just like you raise in a greenhouse, so you can raise fish in a, a fish farm, and, and you're not going to have these Anasakis in it, or not too many that we have to worry about it. But the, but the Anasakis is a worm that got inside somehow. And the problem is that it's in the flesh of the fish. And the, uh, the Shulchan Aruch, based on the Gemara and Chulin, says that anything... So the problem is that the that uh, this is going contradict for what we're saying is contradicting the Shulchan Aruch and the Gemara. Gemara says that if you find Darna inside a fish, in the flesh of the fish, it's not a problem. It grew there. If you find it in the stomach, then it's a problem because it came in from outside. It got it through the food system, got into the stomach, etc. But if it's in the flesh, that's where it grew. So obviously we understand that uh, we don't have such a thing, we don't believe in today's world where there ever was such a thing, we don't believe that a, an insect can come about through thin air, it can't come about from the flesh, it has to come about from uh, another host, another, say, another pest that planted eggs here, etc., and that they grew inside, but you can't get insects inside uh, uh, a piece of fish or a piece of meat that didn't come in from the outside. That's what we're convinced of. And, uh, but, but it does seem to contradict what's in the Shulchan Aruch and the Gemara. So some people say, whatever says in Shulchan Aruch, that's correct. And others say, the facts are the facts. You see it, we can prove it. Uh, that's what it is today. I can't tell you what it was years ago. I can't understand, I don't, I don't have to explain necessarily what it says in the Shulchan Aruch, but the reality is that the, that the worm came through the stomach and went into the, fle- the flesh of the fish, and it was very, very small. So Rabbi Belsky, that's how, he was trying to explain to me that the reason is that, uh, that he, could be, he was makel is because he said that, uh, that it went in when it was very, very tiny, and it couldn't be seen, and even though the anisakis is big enough to be seen, when it comes into the fish, it's big enough to be seen when it comes into the fish, and therefore this rule should not apply. In other words, we shouldn't be mekel, we should be machmir. But he says what the meaning of the Gemara is, that the, most of its growth took place inside the flesh, and it probably wasn't seen when it came in because it was, uh, it was eaten while it was in something else, like a zooplankton, which is some kind of uh, algae that's growing there outside, and it got absorbed, it was hidden inside there, and then it got swallowed up by the fish, so you never really saw it. Basically, that's his theory, and uh, so he was a, he was a makel. 
uh, based upon what it says in the Shulchan Aruch, etc. Uh, there are many people who are machmir. We just read to you with that letter from the from the Elisa Rabbanim who were machmir. This is something you have to discuss with your own rov, make your own decision in life uh, whether you're going to be machmir or not on these uh, in these insects. Our next point is about the uh, new Trader Joe's Parva chocolate chips. They just came out in June. Um, it seems that Trader Joe's, which is a major company in the United States, had been selling uh, Parva chocolate chips for many, many years until 2012. Seems then that it all dried up. I don't know exactly what transpired. I mean, probably they just changed their manufacturer, but he, there's some discussion here about it a little further, uh, about whether the, when the, the, uh, the, the chip company... Uh, was doing dairy, and they had to, they have to label it as dairy. We'll discuss it in one second. But the point is that until 2012, they were selling the chocolate chips. It was a big hit. Uh, I I don't think I've ever been in a Trader Joe's, but uh, the Trader Joe's is a major a major uh, uh, supermarket chain across the United States, and many Jewish people, Orthodox people, shop there for their kosher items. If you live out of town, that's where you're going to find them. So they were, they were buying these chocolate chips, and they loved them, but then they just disappeared in 2012. And when they disappeared, the frantic shoppers went, cleaned out Trader Joe's shelves, and they, went, uh, they were selling tr- Trader Joe's... <laughs> uh, it's true, I'm telling you. They were selling Trader Joe's chocolate chips on eBay at a big markup. It's because people got addicted to this. They felt it was, it was, the, it was a good product, and, and they always had it, and they always liked it, and they didn't like the other chocolate chips. Okay. So that's 2012. Uh, and now it seems that they came out with a, uh, with a chocolate chip that is parva. It seems uh, that they finally got a, a source where it is a, a company that's in the United States and makes the product that they're happy with, the price that they want to pay, and, it's, and the Jews are back in business. It seems that a lot of uh, very from uh, people, uh, that, you know, they're, they're, they're looking for an alternative for the, for the, for the, dairy, for the, for the dairy chocolate chips, especially if you're Machben Achal Yisrael. And if, if you're not Machben Achal Yisrael, you're cooking most of the time, you want to make something pro, a part of you know, especially your baked goods, you want to make them part of it because you want to have them at a Fleshika meal, a, a Suda, a Shabbos, Yom Tov, a Simcha. You want, to, you, want to have a, you want to have it to be available for a Fleshika meal. So the chocolate chips being part of it was a big deal. It seems what happened was that uh, the OK, who was certifying the chips at that time, it seems that they... Uh, there was a production that was going on in the da- in the of dairy products in the same facility using the same equipment, and the OU the OK did not feel that they could pop- possibly go in and kosher it or clean it up properly all the time, and they therefore they chose to call them dairy, whether they really were dairy or they were you know d- they were dairy equipment that you could consider could it be uh, you don't have to wait uh, you don't have to wait till six hours to use it. Uh, maybe, uh, but but it, it definitely was not going to be called parva, and therefore many people were very frustrated, and they tried other chips, and they weren't satisfied with them. I, I the ones that we use, we seem fine from all the companies that I've tasted, but the Mavinim don't like these chocolate chips. They 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 like the ones that Trader Joe's chose because they felt that was a, a higher quality, better taste. 
and now they're back in business. It's a very interesting story, um, and it's uh, a very common story. It reminds me of the story that happened many years ago. I, tried, I told it once or twice, uh, but years ago, I, was a call, I got a call from a lawyer from the Stop and Shop Company, which is a big uh, supermarket chain also, not as big as Trader Joe's. And uh, Stop and Shop called me up, and they said, uh, there's a lawyer, and he wants me to know that they just now got their crackers, their like Tam Tam crackers or clicks or whatever, whatever they call them. They got their crackers from uh, Stop and Shop crackers back to Parva. So I said, you know, what, what are you calling me for? He said, because you publicized that they went dairy. And uh, I was a small guy then. I, I never, not big now either, but we were very small. We were just putting out a, we call Kashmir's newsletter. It was a one-page document, front and back, and then it got a little bigger. But right away in the very, very beginning, and I put out there that the Stop and Shop crackers became dairy. And obviously, my little one-page thing was making it arounds, and people found out about it. And this lawyer heard my name in the magazine, in the actually cautious newsletter. Name came up there as we had said, and we had told the world that it is no longer a part of a product. And it seems, uh, you know, they decided to go uh, to go dairy, and they and they decided to go back to part of it now. So I asked him. Was there any difference? You know, it's, what's the reason you changed? They said, well, we made it a cheshben. We made a, 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 an approximate. We, we, we added up the monies and, found the, and checked the books. And we saw at the end of the year that, we had, that, that the, the, these, choco, these uh, crackers sold 4% less. I said, 4%? Doesn't sound like very much. He said, that's a whole profit. You know, when you take everything off, if we're selling less, so that was where we were making our money. In, the, in, the, in that little bit more that we sell, a little bit more, a little bit less, that is where our pro- profit really is. So they've decided over the 4%, which taught me a lesson, they, over that 4%, that was, it was necessary to go parva. And that's how much the Jewish uh, buyers had affected their market. Uh, sometimes the, co- the uh, companies become aware of that right away, and they, they try to satisfy us, and other times they don't. Uh, not all the time do they do what uh, these people did. But anyway, that's an interesting story. Uh, I'm going to discuss something that I mix feelings about, uh, but it's really hot for the press, so I figured I would share it with you, even though you probably know it already by the time you hear this. It seems that, you ready for this? The Arizona Diamondbacks, I wouldn't even know they existed until I saw this. The Arizona Diamondbacks, which are a baseball team, in Arizona, they just chose uh, they just chose Jacob Steinmetz, and they had the draft where they take new names of people and they, they 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 want them, they hire them, and who did they take? Jacob Steinmetz. So who is Jacob Steinmetz? Jacob Steinmetz is going to be a name you're going to hear a lot in the next. Five years, ten years, twenty years, I think. Jacob Steinmetz has a f- 97 miles per hour fastball. Okay. <laughs> and he has a 3.80 GPA. 
So if you know what that means, then you know. In, in effect, he is a top be- baseball player. He's very young, and he's Shomer Shabbos. Kosher. Yeshiva, Yeshiva High School graduate. The first one in history. And he's going to play professional ball. Where's it going to go? I don't know. <laughs> Hope everything's going to be good. I'm just going to tell you what, what's happening here. I'll read a few, few words to you. And this happened uh, not, when I got it, uh, which is a few minutes ago, it said that it was just put up 11 minutes before. So this is really hot off the press. He comes, Yaakov comes from uh, Widmere, Long Island, and uh, he uh, had, uh, had, been, had re- recent workouts with the Dodgers and the Angels, and he was uh, considered to be very high up in the draft. Uh, it doesn't sound like much to you, but Baseball America said he was 181 in the draft. Um, MLB.com had him 121, and Perfect Game lists him as 102, which means he's... Of all the players, he would be the 102nd player to be chosen. I don't know what number he was chosen. I didn't bother to look. But he obviously was chosen by the Diamondbacks. And he'll be playing professional ball. And uh, it, it's interesting. And, and I'm going to read to you a few lines because this is sort of important for us. His father, Elliot, the Elliot Steinmetz, said they, they have never discussed cutting corners. Fordham, where that's the school he went to uh, after high school, has said it will work with Steinmetz to make sure eating kosher or keeping Shabbos aren't impacted. Professional teams the family has spoken with have expressed a similar sentiment. According to MLB, that's the match, the, 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 um, the baseball, uh, that's National League Baseball, um, Network draft guru Jim Callis, teams that interviewed Steinmetz at the com- at the combine came away impressed by how well he articulated his plan to balance baseball and his faith, and why it is so important to him. Steinmetz declined to say if he'd be willing to make concessions if there were no other option at the professional level. It seems to be this is a, a Elliot the father. It seems to be something he has in his heart and something he enjoys is a, uh, he enjoys as a part of him. Um, it's part, it, this is a quote from Elliot, the father. It's part of the discipline and commitment he has to baseball. A lot of that, I think, comes from his relationship with religion. The fact that he's able to interview the way he does or have poise the way he does or figure out things the way he does, a lot of it is because of his religious background. Uh, now, he has. He, he was in Florida. I'm not exactly up to date on everything went on. He went to Hebrew Academy of the Five Towns in, in Far Rockaway, and Rockaway. And he uh, was he was down for a while in Florida. And it seems that he he said like this that Steinmetz was still able to, to juggle his responsibilities without his parents' help. He would go shopping for kosher food once a week, pray daily and keep the Shabbos by staying close enough to the team's field to walk there. He remained enrolled in his high, his high school over Zoom and graduated with a 3.80 GPA. That's, that's from his high school. Um, it seems that 
he made some kind of decision about what he does when he go. He could go to the baseball game. He plays on Shabbos. It sounds like, but he he doesn't. Uh, he has to be right near there. He can't. He has. To, he, he, he can't ride, and he, he he's, this is non-negotiable. But it seems he does. Going he is going to play on the Shabbos and Yom Tov. I don't know. Uh, I'm not going to comment on that because that's his decision. Uh, I'm just saying that we are going to be affected by this young man because uh, the world has had a very negative attitude towards the from people, and uh, we've suffered a lot over the years. And, um, you know, when somebody gets in politics, so uh, he may make uh, a Kiddush Hashem, he, he may make, uh, get things changed in politics and in the law for us, but at the same time, he's under the microscope. And in America, if you're wearing a yarmulke, you're wearing a tzitzis, and you're, uh, you're a lawyer in the court, uh, the lawyer defending, uh, defending uh, Mr. Trump was a Shomer Shabbos from person with a yarmulke on, uh, you could be making a Kiddush Hashem, you may have opposition. But a ball player, a ball player in America... That's like, that, that's like the top. That's, that's better than president of the United States. A ball player? That's, that's the top. If he wins ball games and they hear that he keeps Shabbos and kosher, and I can assure you it's going to have a very, very good impact on all of us. It's strange. It's not, it's not, it's not what, we, what we think of as... Uh, who we'd like to represent us? We would like to have somebody with a long beard, uh, a big hat, sits coming out, and, uh, and he uh, doesn't take his nose out of the Gemara. And people ask him shouts over the whole world. That's who we'd like to have representing us. But in America, somebody who is going to keep Shabbos and kosher and talk about it, and it's going to be a very big impact on a lot of our young people today, especially those who are struggling with their Yiddishkeit, especially for those who struggle and who give up their Yiddishkeit, to see that you could make it into the major leagues and still keep Shabbos and kosher and daven. It's, it's a, it is a big deal. We all remember, if you're my age, Sandy Koufax didn't work on Yom Kippur, he wouldn't play ball on Yom Kippur, and it had a tremendous impact on the whole world, all the Jews. Sandy Koufax didn't go to work on Yom Kippur. I hope that this young man will make a Kiddush Hashem, and hopefully he will do things in a, pro- in a way that will only shine favorably on all of us. Anyway, I want to wish you a good week, and we'll pick it up in Yitz Hashem next week. Until then, this has been your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine, wishing you a wonderful week. You can reach us, 732-534-9363 or 718-336-8544. Or you can uh, email us at kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S at AOL.com. Thank you very much.